Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Hello and welcome back in listeners. We've had quite a bit of a hiatus from the Bird Gang Blitz. Uh, took some time off after the Super Bowl, but we are back. We're ready to go. Uh, let's tune in uh, with my podcast co-host, Johnny. How are you doing, John? I'm good, Blake. It's great to be back. and we got a lot of things to talk about. <laughs> that we do, yes. Uh, and I am Blake also, as John did mention, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time. Uh, we like to go over on the Bird Gang Blitz just uh, looking at the football news, everything from a Cardinals and especially maybe a draft and roster perspective. And there may be no bigger roster move for 2018 than the news that just happened this last week. Larry Fitzgerald is officially coming back to the Arizona Cardinals. We'd seen this coming. We've talked about this in the past. If it just didn't seem like he was ready to retire. John, let's, let's start and break down. What does this kind of look like as far as for the Cardinals roster and how it shapes the Cardinals for next year? And how is of important of a decision is this for Larry? Larry Fitzgerald and the Cardinals specifically in a time where they're turning over the majority of the coaching staff and roster. It happens every year. Pencils, toothpaste, loose change, trick-or-treaters, cheated out of their treats, trail mix, soap, a battery? Don't be that house. This year, find all your Halloween goodies online or in-store at Smart and & Final and give them something good to eat. Now at Smart & Final, Get a free Halloween tote bag with any purchase of $50 while supplies last. It's huge, Blake. It's huge on many fronts. You know, first start with, you know, an omen to Larry that, you know, if he were to retire, had he retired, he would have been considered the greatest Arizona Cardinal of all time. Uh, and the fact that he's coming back, rolling the dice on a brand new quarterback, a brand new head coach, probably a brand new offensive philosophy from Mike McCoy, probably some similarities with Bruce Arians, but again, Mike's going to want to run his own offense. So Larry comes back basically entrusting Steve Kime to number one, protect his legacy. He doesn't want to go out with, you know, 600 yards barring injury and, you know, having an embarrassing, you know, three and 13 season. He's trusting Steve Kime to get the right pieces in place offensively. That's going to allow him to do what he does best and, and be productive. Um, and so he's got a chance to pa- surpass some you know, big-time milestones. He's got a chance to go uh, number two all-time in receiving yards, I believe, in receptions, of course, behind Jerry Rice. He's already considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest, postseason performer ever. Um, and so I think that, along with his you know, hefty you know, eight-digit salary next year, is, is a big reason why Larry is coming back. And I think he's just performed too well um, over the last couple couple years under Bruce Arians in this offense the last three years uh, being right around 100 receptions per season 11 1200 yards um, you know on a good year he's going to have double digit touchdowns depending on the quarterback so again he's not showing any signs of slowing down Blake you like to refer to him as really a wide receiver tight end hybrid at this point because of all the time he spends in the slide. I think that's a great example and the fact that you know with Mike McCoy you're going to see probably a lot of intermediate passing uh, attack compared to Bruce Arians who liked to go deep when he could. I think Larry's going to fit nicely into this offensive 
scheme. But at the same time, what it means, I think, the most is it allows you to buy time at the receiver position. Had Larry Fitzgerald decided to retire, you're going to go into next season with probably your most reliable pass catcher being your running back, David Johnson, who I consider a fringe, you know, number two receiver on any team. Uh, J.J. Nelson's under contract. He's shown last year to be you know, no better than on a given Sunday a number three receiver, but probably should be slated around number four. Uh, Chad Williams, you got no production last year out of the third round pick from Grambling. And so what does he bring to the table in year two? I think a lot of it depends on you know, who the quarterback is. And then so if, if you had Larry Fitzgerald opting not to come back, sure, you have that money to play, play around with. But I'm not sure if anybody's seen the free agent wide receiver market for this year. It is, um, you know, not spectacular. Uh, you've got, you know, potentially Jarvis Landry from the Miami Dolphins being the bell of the ball. I don't even know if he's going to hit free agency or not. So you're going to have to pick from the likes of, you know, Sammy Watkins, Paul Richardson, some of those names. So nobody who would be able to, to duplicate Larry Fitzgerald's impact on and off the field for this team. So it's huge. I never for a second thought he would retire after he uh, signed that contract extension, even with the penny retirements from Bruce Arians and Carson Palmer. Uh, I think it's just a tremendous addition for this team when there's nothing but uncertainty surrounding this offense. Defensively, we should know what we're getting under Steve Wilkes. We should see, frankly, dramatic improvements in a lot of areas. But offensively, a lot of it depends on who's going to be the signal caller. And as long as you've got Larry Fitzgerald in the fold, uh, with a returning David Johnson, the Cardinals should be somewhat effective offensively. Definitely. And I think it's interesting with just how the announcement went down, as you were saying, part of it was last year, you look at Jim Trotter released kind of the official uh, Larry's back message and Larry, it wasn't as much of a guarantee perhaps as most fans felt this year that he was going to come back last year. I'm not sure if the CTE information had something to do with that. I don't know if it was more of injury or more of just wondering about the roster with where it had been, but this year it seemed like it was never in doubt that he was going to come back. And uh, I think that's huge that Wilkes, Steve Wilkes was the one who actually was able to announce it, announce it on the radio on the local team's morning show as well. And I think it says a lot about the confidence that Fitzgerald has in Wilkes. And so that's always, you know, it's always a good thing, at least moving forward. And you can't ever guarantee it. The Cardinals made the right hire, but I think this is a hire that it gave a certain boost of confidence where you don't know if maybe if the team had been able to hire a Pat Shermer or a different type of coach, maybe there's not that same type of relationship. We're not going to know for sure, but um, I, I do believe with roster construction, we're totally always honest about what Fitzgerald is at this point. He's not an outside wide receiver. He's a slot guy, big slot. And he's a guy who's just going to put up catches after catches after catch, being able to separate, take advantage of those slower linebackers, or if he's ever matched up on a safety. And what's really impressive about that is that we can at least probably say at this point that Bruce Arians may have saved Larry Fitzgerald's career in terms of the fact that he's playing and Arians is no longer the head coach of the team. He's retired. Fitzgerald's still back for another year, and he looks like he could go for maybe two or three more at this rate, which is, uh, which is crazy. But by moving him inside and taking that physicality, the need to have to get separating down the field, the wear and tear, and being able to have a lot of time blocking, I think the Fitzgerald, at least, he didn't have to have the same type of hits on his body or having to get hit into double coverage, similar to what Calvin Johnson wore down, Andre Johnson wore down. And I think that we'll be able to see a productive Fitzgerald back. It still won't be a, a, you know the shell of a former self that sometimes we'll see players. I think he's still got uh, gas left in the tank. As for how that looks for the roster moving forward, I think you could almost make an argument that wide receiver, if Fitzgerald had retired, may have been the biggest need on the team as far as for you still need a quarterback. 
But if you're looking at J.J. Nelson and Chad Williams are the guys you're throwing to, that might be no matter who your quarterback is, they may struggle. We saw it with Kirk Cousins last year in Washington. We even saw it with Aaron Rodgers at times when it seemed like he didn't have guys around him. And when you have a rookie quarterback, it, it seems like the Cardinals may end up going the way they end up with a rookie. Perhaps they still end up with a veteran. But whatever case, it's going to be great having a target like that who's consistent, reliable, that you'll be able to go to time and time again when you're in trouble. Uh, I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see what the development is also for Chad Williams. John Brown actually has a lot of belief in him, and we've heard this about players before, but he believes that Chad Williams is going to be a number one wide receiver at the next level. And let's be honest, we really haven't seen a whole lot that would indicate that. With Williams, uh, he ran apparently a 4-3-40, but he still looked slow on tape the times when he was at least what you could watch of him. We haven't seen as much as far as anything really, kind of similar to Robert Kandichi last year. We saw him make a couple of tough catches, a few physical runs where he was difficult to break down. I'm not sure exactly that he's there. John, do you think that Chad Williams is a guy who has the potential to be a number two, but do the Cardinals have the ability to just count on him to be that? Well, I I think they have an opportunity to see what he has in the preseason and going into next year. I don't think that they have the resources to spend high draft capital on a number two or a number one receiver with all the, you know, impending issues that you have at quarterback and offensive line. So you're kind of in a position where you could dumpster dive like Steve Kime has done, look for those free agent gems in the off season, maybe get lucky with a veteran, uh, which I wouldn't put past him, but at the same time, you know, stating that Chad Williams, who, has never put up, you know, a respectable game in his, in his career and barely has played over JJ Nelson. Um, you know, who has had some nice games uh, specifically in Seattle has had over a hundred yards and against the Legion of boom. I think that that is, you know, asking too much. You, you've seen the likes of John Brown post on it um, on Twitter that Chad Williams is a beast and he's going to have a monster year next year. Um, that remains to be seen, but part of it is the frustration that I know a lot of Cardinal fans felt with the fact that Bruce Arians didn't play him much last year. And um, that was a that was a pick that a lot of people thought was um, Bruce Arians' M.O. He wanted a, a receiver that he thought could make an impact. And that's a position, Blake, that you and I both know is hard to come in and produce year one. And so the fact that I keep going back to this, the Cardinals didn't trade up for a quarterback last year, used that third-round pick that a lot of people assumed would have been your ammunition to get a Patrick Mahomes or a Deshaun Watson – and, and instead you hang on to that, you select Chad Williams, and he does next to nothing for you, um, I think expectations are going to be high. And, you know, unfortunately, that's that's something Chad's going to have to live with at this point. Um, but, again, you have Larry coming back. Uh, I would love to be able to see what Chad can do uh, if, if given the opportunity and, and what you've seen from Steve Kime, specifically with, let's say, Robert Kemdichie uh, replacing Calais Campbell, is he's going to give his guys that he's drafted – an opportunity in years two and three to show if they can or cannot hang. We've seen it with Troy Nicholas and, and Robert Kemdichie specifically last year. Um, I think that Chad Williams will get every opportunity to, to play and to play meaningful snaps, um, but mostly because of the fact that, you know, if the Cardinals had a franchise quarterback and had some quality depth up front on the offensive line, who's to say that if a receiver fell to them, if Calvin Ridley fell to them at pick 15 and they loved him, you know, would I put it past them to take him, especially if Bruce Arians was still in the fold? Um, no, but with all the impending issues you have, all the vacant positions 
that you have on the offense. You just can't risk spending, I believe, uh, a day one or day two pick on a receiver. Uh, you right now have uh, an interior offensive line that's completely in flux. You've got a left tackle that can barely stay healthy. You've got a right tackle, Jared Villier, who's got a high cap number, who's probably going to be released. Um, again, you don't have a quarterback on the roster. So too many issues at receiver for me to say that anybody who's going to be brought in early is going to be Chad Williams' replacement, if you can call him a replacement. Um, so I think he's going to get every opportunity to prove that he, he should be one of the starting receivers on the offense. Definitely. And when you look at the free agent class for wide receivers, there's some intriguing names there. There's not as much a huge or giant class. Uh, Jarvis Landry is probably going to get paid. And it's interesting because he gets compared somewhat to Larry Fitzgerald. He actually led the league in receptions this year. He's had 100 catches the last two years. The biggest difference between the two seems to be the clutch ability. When you look at him on third down statistically, he just does not catch the ball on third down as much as you would expect a wide receiver of his caliber who's going to get paid as much as he will. It's a I think that he's a guy who is going to be priced out of the Cardinals range. Some of the other guys, there's risks apparently for all the rest of them. You've got Josh Gordon, you've got Allen Robinson, Sammy Watkins, uh, Terrell Pryor. Uh, the one guy who seems to be kind of sticking out as a guy who would have probably been a guy the Cardinals pursued uh, would have been Paul Richardson. Uh, he's the Seahawks player who has also dealt with size and some health issues. I think that's kind of when you're looking at the consistency, the only name that really sticks out to me should he become available would be a guy like Michael Crabtree. And his status with Oakland is seemingly up in the air there's gonna be a lot of teams with plenty of cap space if you can bring him in on a one-year deal I think that might be maybe your best free agent option uh, but I agree with you in the fact that right now you can't really lock in wide receiver as one of the top needs for the Cardinals now that Fitzgerald's coming back that's probably your biggest need at the skill position you have David Johnson coming back that's probably going to take the, your number two receiver going into the uh, going into the draft most likely. He's going to be kind of your locked in as your number two. Um, I think it'll just depend on what they do in not just with quarterback but free agency. If if you're going in with a you know a veteran free agent quarterback you signed paid a lot of money to, he's going to be your unquestioned starter. Maybe you do look in the early rounds if you get O line and free agency. Maybe you don't. I think it just depends on the player because, as we've talked about with the Cardinals, you can't keep taking these guys who sit out an entire year in round one and round two. We saw that with how with Booter Baker, there was just an entire turnaround as far as with the team when you had a player who was consistently on the field, making plays in special teams, and in the last eight, playing with up there was some of the most elite safeties in the league. So I think that for me, if it's the right situation, the right pick, I would at least say you want to at least take a look at spending a pick on a wide receiver regardless, just due to the fact that you can't just roll with Larry Fitzgerald and then if he retires next year, have maybe an aging number two veteran. You have to get some young blood in the room. But the question of the cost is really going to depend, I think, on what they do in free agency. Let's talk a little bit just about with the, the draft moving up because someone at least did bring this up to me with this week about what would it cost to be able to trade up with everything and what would that situation look like? And uh, that brought in a lot of questions about with trade value charts, how that looks at least and everything. And the good news for the Cardinals at least is the more I looked into it, the more at least doable it seemed. Um, I'll go over this a little bit as far as just going over briefly, but with the, with the trade value chart, if the Cardinals were going to look to trade up for a quarterback, the biggest thing at least that they would need to do is, you know, estimate the right value. So the value under the new, uh, let's say the new CBA changed drastically from the old one due to the fact that you could change compensatory picks uh, with other teams as far as being able to trade up. 
So if you wanted to move from number 15 to number three, similar trade to what the Eagles did, similar trade to maybe what the Rams did, uh, the cost would be probably about trading your number 15 pick. You'd probably be trading next year's first, and you'd probably be looking at a third and a fourth, and that's going to be more likely your starting point. The thing that's going to be rough about it is with so many teams in need of a quarterback, you're probably going to need to end up giving up a bit more than that too. So a first, two firsts, a third, and a fourth. Now here's the biggest difference is if you're going to trade up to, say, pick nine or ten, the value is going to be much, much less because you're not actually having to really give up maybe a first-round pick for next year to move up about five spots or so. You're only going to probably have to give up a couple of thirds, and maybe you end up having to give up a fourth this year and next year. So I think that's one of the interesting areas. And, John, I don't know if you want to touch on this, but what do you think that the Cardinals should be willing to give up? And do we think that Steve Kime will be willing to give that up with the news that he's been signed now to a new five-year extension? Yeah, I think that Steve should be willing to entertain any kind of possibility to go up and get what he deems is his franchise quarterback. There's no price too high when you're talking about acquiring one of those. We've seen what Philadelphia has done for Carson Wentz, how that's paid dividends. Jared Goff in year two looks like a franchise quarterback. Nobody's thinking about the picks the Rams have given up. Even with all the picks, you know, the Washington Redskins had to give LA or excuse me, St. Louis at the time for the RG3 trade, you know, the they ended up winning the division title. They got Kirk Cousins. They've rebounded, whereas the Rams didn't do anything with those additional picks. So, again, we've seen it work before, assuming that you target the right kind of player. Where the Cardinals are up against the eight ball, Blake, and specifically Steve Kime, is all those teams in the top ten that need quarterbacks. The first two teams specifically, being the Cleveland Browns and the New York Giants, I can't imagine either one of those teams opting to trade out. It would be a historic event based on the fact that Eli Manning is in his mid-30s and looked just incompetent last year. And you have potentially Sam Darnold with Josh Rosen available at pick two. I can't imagine them deciding not to take a quarterback. And then, of course, we say it every year with the Browns that at some point they're going to have to pull the trigger on a first-round franchise guy. Uh, and Sam Darnold's looking in the mirror, and, and if he opts to go to Cleveland and says, okay, I'll play there, I can't see that you how you pass that up, even if you're in love with Baker Mayfield. You can't risk – somebody jumping up to three and, and taking Baker Mayfield away from you, trading up with Indianapolis. So, again, back to your original point, I, I think that Steve should be ready to move up. But I, I, I don't think you can go into the draft and saying, okay, I'm in discussions with Indy at number three. We're going to get this done uh, unless you did it ahead of time. If they called Indianapolis and basically said, right now, we're going to give you this year's first, we're going to give you next year's first, and we're going to give you you know a slew of, of day two picks – that means that you're comfortable with any of your top three quarterbacks being available there, which is unheard of. Usually what we see is like Philadelphia did trading up to two. We're either going to get Wentz or Goff. We're comfortable with both. I've never seen it happen with, with a pick lower than than second overall. Um, as far as, you know, maybe reaching the edge of the first round, calling somebody like a Jason Light in Tampa, I think that's a re very realistic possibility, but it's going to be something that you're going to have to sweat out for seven or eight picks ahead of time. I think San Francisco is going to be in a position where they can either take BPA or they can trade down potentially with the Buffalo Bills uh, with two first-round picks in the 20s, the early 20s. Uh, we've, we've heard reports, Blake, from Benjamin Albright that they're already calling teams to gouge interest of, of moving into the top 10, I would think it would be for somebody like a Josh Allen or, or Baker Mayfield um, to finally solidify that position for them. So the Cardinals, unlike last year, 
where they didn't have seemingly as much competition. And I know they were traded ahead by Kansas City and Houston, but they showed zero lack of aggressive uh, aggressiveness. The Cardinals this year are going to have to be the aggressor. They're going to have to spend premium draft capital if they want to secure their guy. Now, the good news is, Blake, and we've touched on it, Steve Kime getting the contract extension matching up with Steve Wilkes, I think bodes well for him because I think he could survive. I'm not saying it's likely. He could survive trading up, taking a quarterback, it not working out, and still keeping his job based on the production of the team elsewhere. I think that Michael has shown him enough patience, you know, in these past two years. And to, to frankly, get a contract extension after the two years he's had where eight and eight disappointment, seven, eight and one disappointment. Now you're going to get an extension. I think he could survive a, a first round quarterback bust and, and still, you know, lead this team as their general manager. Um, and that makes me believe that he's finally going to pull the trigger on somebody. Uh, will, whether it be a pick 15, whether it be a pick nine, whether it be a pick three, I don't know. But, you know, I would keep that pro football talk draft chart uh, close by on draft night just to see what it would cost. But I, I do believe that the asking price is going to be higher than normal based on the fact that there's so many quarterbacks that a lot of teams deem as franchise quarterbacks combined with the fact that there are so many teams, the Jets, the Broncos, the Bills, the Browns, um, the Giants, you know, potentially, you know, the L.A. Chargers, teams like that that could sneak up and steal your guy. Um, Steve's just going to have to say, I'm going to pick uh, – I'm, I'm going to go get my guy at this pick. I'm going to feel confident about it. I'm not going to worry about, you know, a, a cornerback in 2019 that I could take in the third round that could help my secondary. Because without a quarterback, doesn't matter how great your roster is, you're not winning anything. No, definitely agree there. And when you look at Kime with the the fact that Michael Bidwell has a lot of faith in him, like it's not just going to be a one-year type of go out and prove that you can rebuild this team a second time. He's shown that he has faith in Kime. And part of it, I think, is that they've built with Steve Kime and they've got the – it's kind of like a symbiotic relationship where Kyle and Bidwell are on the same page. They bring in a coach who also is going to be on the same page. There's going to be some disagreements between the two of them. We know at least firsthand that Bruce Arians liked Deshaun Kaiser more and Steve Kime did not. And clearly when they traded up ahead where I thought they were going to maybe take Deshaun Kaiser, instead they take Buda Baker. He wouldn't even have, didn't even have Deshaun Kaiser in the plans. I think that just shows you that this is a team that has a very balanced approach and I think that's what it will help favor Kime because I think what his goal is going to be not having to get this desperation mode like the Buffalo Bills are finding themselves in where they traded back last year from a quarterback. They've got two first-round picks, and they're going to be trying to move up into a spot where they can get their guy. The Cardinals are not in that area of desperation. I think they're going to go through this path, and Steve Kime even said as much on the radio of finding a quarterback just like how they found their head coach by going through the different options, taking their time evaluating, and then being aggressive with the move once it's there. When they took Steve Wilkes out to dinner and it was basically a done deal, we all knew it, and it was the official announcement came the next day. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of Kime's um, statements on the radio because some fans I know have taken this one way as far as we're saying, oh, they're definitely going to trade a quarterback. They're definitely going to draft a quarterback. They're going to get a rookie this year. And some others have taken it the exact opposite way, saying, well, this is what the Cardinals do. They just don't risk on a quarterback. Steve Kime is not a risk taker. Let's go and break down some of these talks in detail where Kime talks about having uh, plans A, B, C, and D. 
where he talks always about plan A. Um, he even quoted and said that you can't get caught on plan A, which is a free agent quarterback, like you're thinking of your Kirk Cousins or even uh, we'll talk about some of this in a little bit with the newly freed A.J. McCarron even. But he said you can't get caught on plan A because there are factors that go into decisions by a free agent quarterback or any trade process you can't put your finger on. And that's a pretty true statement. We saw that even with McCarron about how Buffalo, uh, the Cleveland Browns screwed up the trade. He would have been a Brown. Instead, now they keep their picks. He ends up a free agent, can go there or to another team if he wishes. And he talks also a little bit about just how the balance is between finding a free agent quarterback and then with the draft. Um, because he talks about how when you're, this is a quote, when you're taking one of the top 10 or trading up to the top 10, you, you better be sure you're going to be right on that pick. I think that's really interesting because that was something where it was a, yeah, definitely make sure you're right in that pick. But many fans took it the opposite way of saying, well, this just kind of shows that Steve Kimes not willing to trade up into the top 10. Uh, he just was not, if you're not sure you're going to be right on it for that. I don't know if that's the case as much, especially because when you look at the next line that he said, where he talked about not necessarily Robert Candici, although I think it might apply to him, was he talked about taking a player who's a little less talented, but maybe loves it a little more. Like you think of your Josh Morrow, who was a solid starter all throughout the season. Uh, but I think this is kind of where, with both of us, we still felt very similarly as far as for looking at with a guy like a Baker Mayfield, as far as if you're going to target him for that one, it seemed to stand out. But I want to know what your thoughts are. Do you think that Steve Kime is shown in the past that he's been too conservative? He wants to make sure that he's locked in on a guy before trading up or do you think that he's kind of indicating that hey we need to follow these different plans one two three four and then strike at the end is it a combination of the two is it both what are your thoughts on some of what Kaim has talked about with the inexact science of the draft well I think his lack of aggression with quarterbacks is very outside of his you know element or character or whatever you want to call it based on a lot of the other things he's done. He's given up premium draft capital, a second round pick for Chandler Jones. A lot of people didn't know about that move at the time. Traded, a, you know, a six round pick for Adrian Peterson has been active constantly, uh, you know, in the free agent market. He's not somebody who his, his sits on his hands like a Rod Graves. He's, I believe, an elite recruiter in free agency. I have a lot of faith in Kime in every position uh, even the offensive line outside of, of quarterback because he hasn't done it yet. But he's found pass rushers when this team has never had quality pass rushers. Uh, you know, in 2015, the offensive line was the best it's ever been in terms of, you know, productivity, uh, running game, passing game. You know, the fact that he was able to secure Mike Ayupati, who went to a Pro Bowl for the first time since Lomas Brown in the early 90s. Um, you know, he's been able to lock up quality players uh, like um, a Patrick Peterson, like a Tyron Matthew, the extensions with Larry Fitzgerald, the trade for Carson Palmer, of course. So everything outside of drafting a quarterback. And I think, Blake, that had more to do with the fact that Bruce Arians, of course, wanted to win now. And Bruce Arians was the self-appointed quarterback whisperer. And so Kime was really kind of handcuffed in that sense because if Bruce didn't pull the trigger or give his approval on a quarterback – what was Steve Kime supposed to do? Now he's got a defensive head coach. Uh, yes, he's got Mike McCoy, who has been a head coach, but this is going to be Steve Kime's selection and, and really Steve Kime only. He's going to have, you know, you know, birds in his ears, so to speak, no pun intended, Michael Bidwell, Mike, Mike McCoy, Steve Wilkes. Um, but really, if, if Steve likes a quarterback enough, I think he's going to make a move. Um, but 
based on his comments, I go back to what he said a few years ago, that this team wanted to be the team that started to recoup comp picks. And specifically last year, he knew that this offseason, he was going to be able to have a couple uh, signature comp picks for this draft. And he's already projected to get an additional third and a fourth. Now he, he traded a fourth last year. Again, some aggressiveness shown to go up for Buda Baker. But he's got some draft capital now that, that's going to make it possible for him to move up. We don't know how high, and there are teams with you know superior draft capital. The aforementioned Bills and the Cleveland Browns could far surpass a package that the Cardinals could do. But again, he's got some ammunition in the tank. I think he's got some ammunition on the roster as well. And we'll talk about this later, Blake. But you know, could he make a package of players surrounding Tyron Matthew uh, and, and move into the top 10, a la what Miami did with Philadelphia a few years ago, trading Kiko, Kiko Alonso and Byron Maxwell for the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, allowing them to jump up a couple spots and then before they made their monster trade uh, with Cleveland to go up with the second overall pick and get Carson Wentz. So um, I wouldn't read too much into his comments right now because I think he knows that this roster, the way it's constructed with the young players, he's going to have to lock up Dayone Buchanan, David Johnson, potentially Marcus Golden, um, you know, if you're going to continue to pay Larry Fitzgerald year to year, you're going to have to go out and try to, you know, re-sign or secure some, you know, elite offensive talent, specifically on the O-line like an Andrew Norwell. Are you going to look at Star Latulale? So you're going to have to pay some guys big-time money. You can't really do that while also paying Kirk Cousins $30 million. You can't do that while overspending on some of these free agent quarterbacks what you can do is you can take Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson or even, you know, a Josh Allen and pay him next to nothing for five years or four and then give him an extension, hopefully if it were to work out. And that's your window. Your window to win a championship for the most part, like Seattle did, is to build an elite defense with this coaching staff, build a running game, and find a, a franchise quarterback that you don't have to pay big time money to for four or five years. And Steve has talked about that again and again and again. And it's one of the reasons he went on radio and basically kind of undermined, you know, John Lynch and the San Francisco 49ers of, you know, trading for Jimmy Garoppolo. Because he said at that time, not only are you giving up, you know, premium draft capital, even though it's only a second round pick looks like a steal now, but the fact that they had to give him all that money. And he's only had, you know, X amount of starts in this league, not even double digits whereas you can get a quarterback like the Dallas Cowboys did like a Dak Prescott in the fourth round and you're paying him pennies you're paying Russell Wilson nothing so I think that's what Steve wants to do and so I would be anxious to see just how you know how much he makes it a priority specifically to get that first round quarterback whereas you know Blake you have that fifth year option it'll be interesting just because the the Cardinals and Kimer are in a very interesting – well, I can't say interesting twice, I guess, but it's more of – there doesn't seem to be a beat writer in the national news who seems to have a, a bead on what exactly the Cardinals are going to do at quarterback. And it's not that the Cardinals, I don't think, don't know. I think that they're developing and putting their plan together now. I think it's going to go kind of through the checklist, at least, of Kirk Cousins. Kime even talked about this. He even said as far as for if they were going to be adding any type of 
free agent quarterback is they look at their model and looking not only from a cash and cap standpoint, but for three to four years down the road, how it will affect this. And to me, this is almost like a, they're going to try to be in the Kirk Cousins market. I think that they'll have a price that they'll value Kirk Cousins at. And I think ultimately they're not going to be able to keep him just because of that three to four year model. You're going to have so much of an amount that you're going to have to pay him this year. You won't be able to surround him with receivers, especially with a a guy who's just coming back. You're paying 11 million guaranteed to, you're not going to really be able to help build that offensive line around there. And three to four years down the road, you're going to be watching the Marcus Goldens. If a DJ Humphreys is going to get paid, if he's going to walk. And I think that's the biggest area where they're going to have to probably end up going low as far as for the value of the free agent quarterback as well. Even if A.G. McCarron gets Mike Glennon money, that's going to be way too much to be able to commit to a guy. And a lot of people are linking McCarron with the Cardinals specifically because they just don't see McCarron going to the Browns and then the Browns taking Sam Darnold with the first overall pick. I think that the the team is in a spot because you're not really totally sure what they're going to do. And that's probably what makes them the most fascinating team out of all of the teams this year who are looking for a quarterback because they're in a position of, and this is something we talked about for years is Bruce Arians here was too good of a coach for the Cardinals to end up in a high position to take a quarterback without having to make a move up. And he was also perhaps not a good enough coach where you'd be able to um, see when he finally did leave the team, if things broke down, that they would be still a playoff team in the late first being able to kind of take a quarterback. They're kind of in that middle, uh, that no man's land area, meaning that you're going to have to look at trading up um if you do want to get one of those top rookies perhaps you don't have to we have seen at least some different rumors about teams who are looking around but again we have seen so many changes over the years last year we were talking about how you may need to have four quarterbacks in the first round and the entire order got shuffled around by the combine we'll touch on the combine in a little bit but I, I did want to take some time at least to break down just the new additions to the Cardinals coaching staff at least while we're here so let's transition into talking a little bit about some of the guys who we've already known are Mike McCoy on offense Al Holcomb's on defense he, he had a, quite a bit to say as far as for helping Patrick Peterson being able to get back to his ball hawk self and Jeff Rogers who did a surprisingly decent job with the Bears special teams last year despite not having a lot of talent to work with these are the guys we've talked about this has been your core the ones who we're going to get into who are finalized this week let's start with the uh, I'll start with going over um, just kind of the guys who are returning and then we'll go into some of the new guys and then we'll kind of hear some of your thoughts if you've got some of the names or positions that kind of stick out to you John but we've got Byron Leftwich coming back is perhaps the biggest move of this all because he's in line to probably be a future offensive coordinator perhaps even a future head coach at some point of uh, with his personality, with his understanding of offensive concepts. Uh, you've got Kevin Gardner was promoted. He's one of Larry Fitzgerald's closest um, guys. He's closest on the team, too. Perhaps this was one of the moves that helped Fitzgerald come back for next year. Larry Foote's going to be your inside linebackers, or well, your linebackers coach, I should say. He was inside under Arians. But you're going to get to see him back along with some of the um, the takes from Al Holcomb and Steve Wilkes, who you know, coached that dynamic linebacker duo in – Arizona. You also have a couple of the assistant offensive line coaches back. Uh, Buddy Morris is back. And an interesting name that's returning the Cardinals is Kirby Wilson as their running backs coach. I think that's something we can at least touch on. And then rounding it out, of course, is Ray Brown. DJ Humphreys is very excited for him. Jason Michaels is there. And then perhaps the most uh, interesting name that I found on this list was David Merritt, who 
He's been coaching in the NFL for years and years, spent 14 seasons with the New York Giants, and they've always had, for whatever reason, a very dynamic secondary, whether it was DRC and Entrell role, for former Cardinals, in fact, at least, and seeing with Landon Collins. And I think it's one of the things that that was maybe the most underrated hire that we have there. Uh, John, did, did you have any other names that for you at least um, stuck out or just touching a little bit further on what kind of staff has – Steve Wilkes put together because it's clearly different from Bruce Arians' uh, retirement community that he had with the Cardinals in the last five years. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a safe offensive hire in terms of a Mike McCoy. Um, that's the one thing that kind of stood out. I think, Blake, you and I were hoping they would get a little bit off the beaten path and go with a Daryl Bevel who's developed franchise quarterbacks like Russell Wilson and that would pave the way for the Cardinals to take a non-conventional quarterback and so we kind of shrugged our shoulders with the addition of Mike McCoy but really to me the the, the most exciting addition I think is is Ray Brown on the offensive line because of what he's been able to do with the specifically the interior of that offensive line in Carolina and how he is really kind of the unheralded coach for that team they always have a great running game and the fact that he was able to produce two Pro Bowl guards in uh, Trey Turner and then the aforementioned Andrew Norwell, who's, uh, by the way, going to hit the free agent market, undrafted out of Ohio State and has become one of the best, if not the best, left guards in football. I, th- I don't think he gave up uh, a, a sack this year. It's just unbelievable. And you think about how, you know, enigmatic Cam can be in the pocket uh, and then, of course, Khalil at center has been tremendous. Uh, they've had some inconsistencies at uh, the tackle positions, but again, um, you know, most of the time, the reason that they are giving up negative plays is because Cam is not a pocket passer, does too much outside the pocket. I've always been impressed with their offensive line, and they have dominated the Cardinals uh, up front in every contest they've had, dating back to 2016 losses, 2015 losses, 2014 losses. Cardinals haven't beaten the Panthers for a long time, and I contribute, again, a lot of that to the fact that they win the line of scrimmages uh, on both sides of the ball. So I was impressed with that hire, the fact that they were able to essentially take the offensive line coach from Carolina and bring him to Arizona, and the Panthers let him go. I didn't think that was a wise move on their part, um, especially with the fact that he has developed some quality players up front. Um, I think that really the Cardinals are in a position now to draft and develop a rookie quarterback and lean on David Johnson in this running game and really what I think is going to be the best Arizona Cardinal defense that we've ever seen under Steve Wilkes. The fact that they have all the tools in place outside of maybe a quality interior defensive tackle and a number two corner, which I think frankly is overrated when you have hybrid players like Tyron and Buddha in your secondary. If if they're able to secure a quality interior defensive lineman, which you can find in the draft in a lot of different places that could come internally with um, Olson Pierre, who had a nice year last year, or could come on the free agent market with the Starlet Tulele. I think the Cardinals, with the linebacking core they've created with Hassan Reddick, um, Dayon Buchanan, of course, all pro Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden coming back. What Steve Wilkes is going to be able to do with the fact that he's had this talent before and they have been, you know, all pro caliber players and Luke Keekley, what he's done to reinvigorate Thomas Davis's career. I think that defensively they're going to be excellent, excellent on all fronts, and I'm excited for it. So, again, I think Ray Brown is the biggest addition on the coaching staff, but I think the, where we're going to see the biggest dividends paid is on defense. And, of course, it's based on personnel. 
Cardinals don't know what they have offensively yet. A lot of that is, you know, still being, you know, uncovered as the upcoming weeks lead up to free agency in the draft. Um, so you have to get them quality players to work with. But I think Ray Brown is going to be a heck of a recruiting tool with Andrew Norwell, assuming he hits the market. And uh, he's going to earn about $13 million a year. And I think the Cardinals are going to be able to pay it. So fingers crossed they're able to land him. Yeah, definitely. And I think that regardless of who they end up signing at the guard, I think I could see at least a situation where they bring back um, their left guard for last year, Alex Boone. I think that he's at least a solid addition, um, whether it's playing left guard or right guard. That seems to be the biggest, um, the biggest one here as far as for the need of an in, in, in interior offensive lineman who is able to be smart, be diligent, be able to uh, pick up the offense movement. We just have not seen that out of some other picks with Evan Baines and like, I think that's just an area with where Steve kind you're just eventually going to have to hit on hit on some of these picks. At least um, we're going to come back at least in the bird game blades. We've got a little bit of Cardinals news. that's dropped recently, some rumors, and we're going to do a lightning round going over what's been the biggest news around the NFL and how does it affect the Cardinals? We'll be back here on the bird game blitz in just this moment. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Welcome back on the Bird Gang Blitz. So, John, we've got a Super Bowl to talk about. The Philadelphia Eagles managed to take down the Goliath, the big bad wolf of the New England Patriots. Uh, we did see, actually, there is a, a surprising Cardinals connection there, too. Apparently, the game-winning play was stolen right out of the Cardinals' playbook with the trips right formation. Originally designed for Alshon Jeffrey, ends up going to the uh, – coverage to Zach Ertz instead it's interesting showing about how some of the different uh, coaches and players can steal from guys around the league uh, I think it'll be interesting to see with McCoy's new offense how that turns out but what are your thoughts at least about the Super Bowl of the game and for all the fans who keep asking about Nick Foles availability and for the record from at least what I've heard the price starts probably at about two second rounders given the fact that Carson Wentz is not going to be back for next year it seems like it's a kind of unattainable price to be saying all right well we're going to give up not one second round pick or giving up maybe a Tyron Matthew and a second round pick for a backup Eagles quarterback it's like oh no here we are down this road this road again what's kind of at least the biggest thing that we've taken away from the Eagles as far as with using this analytics this new offense and being able to even just take a type of offense that can go out and put up all these points on a Bill Belichick defense in the Super Bowl is this the future of the NFL and does Foles fit at all with the Cardinals right now I don't think he fits at all with Arizona. I think that everything that he had going for him in Philadelphia outside of a, you know, a quality running back, uh, he will not have in Arizona. Should he come here? Should he be traded? I don't think Steve is going to go down that route. Thankfully. I think that what has been shown is that this Philadelphia offensive staff and the offensive line 
is one of the greatest that we've seen in the past probably decade or so. The fact that Doug Peterson, Andy Reid's right-hand man, is probably already a better definitely a better postseason coach than than Andy has shown to ever be and then you think about the fact that Frank Wright is now the head coach of the Indianapolis head coach uh, Colts uh, and then John DiFilippo was getting head coaching interviews uh, all, also in Arizona and now is the offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings uh, it just it shows you how strong that coaching staff was and how much guidance and just wisdom that they were able to bestow on the Nick Foles and then I've been in this camp for a while. I think Dallas's offensive line is second to Philadelphia's. Uh, Lane Johnson is phenomenal. Their interior is tremendous. They do just so many things well. Uh, the way they manhandled Minnesota up front, they had two quality running backs in Blunt, um, and uh, his name escapes me, but the uh, Jay Ajayi was fantastic. They put together a very nice receiving core. Alshon Jeffrey should have, you know, never been uh, allowed to leave Chicago. He's a number one receiver, and he's only going to get better playing with Carson Wentz. So Zach Ertz finally showed that, you know, he was an all-pro tight end uh, out of Stanford. He was just a tremendous prospect that has finally uh, come into his home. Gives gives a little bit of hope for Troy Nicholas, but, uh, again, I thought Ertz was a, a better prospect. So, it was an elite offensive staff. It was an elite offensive team. They did just enough defensively. Jim Swartz is a great defensive mind. And, uh, yeah, I'm not going to take anything away from what Nick Foles did. He made some big-time throws. But, again, he was elevated. You hear that term, elevated. Um, Russell Wilson early in his career was elevated by, you know, the, the pieces that they had by Marshawn Lynch. Now he's developed into a franchise quarterback. Nick Foles has been given that opportunity. Uh, and he has shown that he is a capable NFL quarterback when everything is right. Uh, you know, Chip Kelly put some pieces in place, and he was able to take them to the postseason. But again, that's where the where the party ended. He went to St. Louis with no offensive direction and, and crashed and burned. So again, could he come to Arizona and put together a nice season? Sure. But are you going to be able to duplicate what they just did in Philadelphia? There's a very slim chance. And again, you talk about what we just said with trading for a quarterback and then having to pay that individual. This, this young man who just won a Super Bowl contemplated retirement um, to be, a, I think, a pastor. He, he has a lot um, invested in his faith, which is fantastic. But again, if you're committing to him for five, seven years on a deal and giving him $120 million – which is the going rate for a free agent quarterback. As we've seen, Kirk Cousins is going to get $150 million. He didn't win a Super Bowl. What are, you, what are you expecting to get out of that? You're expecting to get somebody who's going to consistently put up 25, 30 TDs, if not more, somebody who's going to complete over 62 to 65% of his throws, and somebody who's going to give you an opportunity to get to the playoffs and inevitably win a Super Bowl. And when you're paying somebody that kind of money, you expect him to carry your roster um, you know, through good times and bad, specifically when you're not a great team, you think this guy can elevate you. Nick Foles cannot do that. Nick Foles has to have everything right uh, come into play for him to succeed. And we've seen that again in Philadelphia. That is not the case in Arizona. Uh, that's what I took away from it. It's a great all-time story. I'm happy for them. But anybody who believes that the Cardinals should even sniff the Nick Foles camp, that has to be option 50 on the list right now for me. 
Yeah, for most reports, the Cardinals aren't even interested. And a lot of that is probably just due to the fact that even though a lot of fans can't understand that, the fact is that Nick Foles is a backup for a reason, and a lot of guys just don't work out in different areas. If you look at Drew Stanton, part of the reason Stanton never went to another team and started was for a very similar reason to why Josh McCown failed epically with the Bucks after succeeding so well with the Bears. At some point, you are just based on the talent around you, the coaching and everything, that is who you are as a quarterback. And that's why what's so important is the first few years of development, being able to have that stability and just recognizing that ultimately these are human beings who do have limitations. Nick Foles' limitations at least was that he needed to have one of the most talented casts around him to be able to go through and uh, bless his heart. He made the best decisions that he could have possibly to be able to bring a title to that team and hopefully the Arizona Cardinals will be next. Let's talk a little bit about just briefly about with John Filippo because we talked about him for a long time. We're hoping that he was going to be the guy who would get hired. Turns out that he ends up going to Minnesota. Either he think, thought highly of Minnesota. Minnesota was willing to wait for him. As well as Michael Bidwell's comments on the radio where he talked about the importance of having Mike McCoy being a former head coach before. It seemed to be an area of extra value. We didn't, I don't think, see it as extra valuable mostly because perhaps it's for these guys hiring that there's a first-time coach similar to hiring an employee fresh out of uh, you know out of college out of an internship or even from another company you're just not sure what you're going to get and so having someone who's you know been there before maybe makes it a little bit more stable but I think that was interesting just looking at how this is kind of one of those decisions where I don't know if it's an area that's going to bite back in Arizona, depending on what happens with McCoy as well as their quarterback situation. But it was interesting just looking at the whole situation of this is a guy who wanted to call plays. He wanted to get that promotion. He could have gone back to Philly. And instead, I think he's kind of on that next step towards a head coach. Maybe you are looking at the situation three to four years from now and say, hey, Arizona made the right choice. McCoy uh, did a brilliant job. He's been with the team as a longtime OC that gave stability. Filippo may just be hired as a head coach for the next, uh, the next team the next year, uh, just not being that guy who's able to kind of give the consistency that you're looking for. Uh, but let's go on and talk a little bit about the biggest happening after the Super Bowl that really just kind of began this entire craze. And that was the trade of, reportedly, Alex Smith from the Kansas City Chiefs to the Washington Redskins, the price being a third-round pick and a promising young corner in Kendall Fuller. Where does this leave the Cardinals? Because Alex Smith may have been the number one top quarterback on their board they wanted to pursue. They either were not aggressive enough or, more likely, when you look at the cost, would have given up a third-round pick maybe even a second considering with the uh, just the cost at least of having to take him on and Buda Baker as well. Uh, what are your thoughts at least about the Smith trade and what does it say about Kirk Cousins and a team ahead of the Cardinals who now has their starting quarterback role filled? Well, I think it helps the Cardinals immensely, Blake. I think Alex Smith would be another Band-Aid on this, on this franchise, somebody who's going to make them viable, but not somebody who's going to be able to lead them to a championship. Uh, I think that Washington has – better offensive players around Kirk Cousins uh, seemingly up front on the offensive line with Brandon Sheriff and Trent Williams. Both of them come to mind. Those are tremendous players. Cardinals don't have anybody near the quality uh, up front that, that Washington does. So again, he's, he would be coming to a lesser team uh, offensively. Uh, Jay Gruden is a great offensive play caller. Uh, Mike McCoy is right now average at best, uh, depending on who he has. But again, that is something with the Alex Smith scenario that you go back to when the Cardinals officially acquired Carson Palmer in the spring of 2013, that their first target was Alex Smith. And the fact that they weren't able to get a deal done because he was in their division with San Francisco, inevitably went to um, Kansas city, had 
his best years under Andy Reid. But again, his best years were the, the league average in terms of touchdowns and passing yards. Tremendous as a uh, completion percentage artist, up close to 70%, but a lot of that can be contributed to the fact that he was Mr. Checkdown. It wasn't until this year, until Patrick Mahomes showed up, that you know a fire was lit under him and he played the best football of his career. Um, not necessarily the reason that they weren't able to ever win a playoff game there. He put up, I think, 40-plus points against Indianapolis in a playoff loss. But at the same time, I think we've seen the best from Alex Smith. I think that he could have a couple nice years with Washington, but he's not leading that team to a championship. He's not leading Arizona to a championship. And on top of that, you'd have to pay him. You'd have to give up nice players and nice draft capital. Somebody like Buda Baker, who I think is going to be all pro next year, I would. there's no way I'd consider that. Uh, and so I, I was happy that this option was completely taken off the table. I was happy again. Now Washington has – it's kind of like a twofold, Blake. Washington has their franchise quarterback. They're not going to take one uh, ahead of the Cardinals. I think at pick 13. And this opens up the fact that Kirk Cousins could conceivably go to a Denver, to a, to a New York, to a New York Jets in the top 10, which crosses them off the list. So it, it's kind of, you know, you're killing two birds with one – quarterback stone so to speak uh kansas city has their quarterback they're picking in the 20s we don't need to worry about them uh washington has their quarterback and then we need to pray that kirk cousins doesn't go to minnesota or jacksonville and inevitably ends up hopefully with john elway at pick five which would be the best case scenario for the cardinals because i think then that pick becomes available for a trade-up so alex smith I think would have been nice uh, for this franchise uh, two or three years ago. But in 2018, with the Cardinals conceivably starting over offensively, uh, investing in a 33, 34-year-old Alex Smith with diminishing skills is not what I would consider wise for this team. Yeah, and you break it down, basically you're paying at least $44 million guaranteed, but you look at a $94 million contract for a 34-year-old quarterback who had his best deep passing of his career just this season. Easy pass, at least, if you're a Cardinals fan, if you're having to give up a guy like a Buda Baker. Let's go down the line to the next area where we've got the uh, Browns hiring Scott McLuhan as a kind of offensive consultant. He's been a big and very outspoken Baker Mayfield fan as far as for his temperament, his personality. It's hard to see the Browns maybe selecting him. I'm, we'll have to see how teams feel about him, especially with the senior bowl and the combine. But I think this is kind of an interesting spot as far as when you look at what the Browns have done and the fact that A.G. McCarron did win his grievance the NFL he's now a free agent there just seems to be a lot of cooks in the kitchen the Browns are a team that have for sure the number one overall pick will be able to take whatever quarterback that they want uh, I know some Browns fans joked about they should take a quarterback at one and four just to get some more at the position they will figure out it at last but the other thing is if they decide to go with a veteran or any pick and decide to not take a quarterback that might be the biggest like shock I guess you could say of the draft would be if the Browns choose to roll with an A.G. McCarron or end up trying to give the farm for Kirk Cousins I just don't see him going to um, the area it seems very likely that Denver and the Jets will be kind of the top two teams for him what are your thoughts at least about with what we've seen so far with the Browns if, if Hugh Jackson's living on borrowed time and just for what they could do in the draft and how it could affect the Cardinals as you said that Denver pick might be available perhaps that number four pick with the Browns the Cardinals end up seeing that the Giants pass on a Josh Rosen the Colts end up taking a player like maybe a Saquon Barkley or a Bradley Chubb perhaps that number four pick becomes available for the opportunity to up for your guy what do you think about what the Browns are doing so far 
Well, the Browns are the most interesting team in this draft for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of layers to what I think could happen with this franchise. I think keeping Hugh Jackson was essentially a must for the Browns based on the fact that they've turned over their coaching staff and front office so many times. What kind of coach could they secure really that's superior to Hugh Jackson other than selling it to your fan base that, oh, this isn't, we're not going to go with the guy that lost 16 straight games last year. Uh, We're going to go with this guy. Probably isn't as qualified as Hugh Jackson. It's not to say I think Hugh's a good coach, um, especially not a good head coach. I think he's a quality offensive mind. But at the same time, some kind of continuity was needed. Um, I think their front office has shown um, some some improvement uh, in terms of the the names that they brought in over the last six months. Um, But again, it all depends on really one thing and and who's going to be their quarterback in 2018 and moving forward. My biggest question, Blake, with them is if they draft Sam Darnold first overall and they don't have a quality quarterback veteran on the roster that's been around like a Josh McCown to teach that young man how to be a professional, because not only are you going to have to overcome what it means to be the first overall pick, what it means to turn around a losing franchise, but to turn around the worst franchise, maybe in NFL history in a team that's, in the Midwest, it's not a glamour city. You've got some nice offensive pieces, but everybody is unproven. Nobody outside of Joe Thomas, who, by the way, is coming off an injury, you know, has any pedigree to their name. Now, I would love to come into the position of being their GM based on the fact that they have a ton of draft capital, they have a ton of money, and I like a lot of what they've done in the last two or three drafts or the last two or three off seasons. I think up front on the offensive line, they've got a lot of nice quality players Um but at the same time, you, you could have a chance of ruining Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen out of the gate. So I keep going back to the fact that do they consider going after somebody like an A.J. McCarron, who, who Jackson loves, and giving him quality starter money and waiting for a quarterback until maybe pick four and taking just the best overall player on their board? Let's say you know Bradley Chubb blows up the combine and you want to pair him with last year's first overall pick. Um, his name escapes me, but you, and you want to have, you want to have bookend edge rushers for the next 10 years. You know, maybe you like Saquon Barkley enough to say, we think he's a franchise caliber running back in the same mold as Ezekiel Elliott. We're going to take him first overall. I wouldn't recommend any of those things, but it's the Cleveland Browns and you can't put anything past them. And so I think it'll be interesting to see who they're able to acquire at the quarterback position because unfortunately my guy Deshaun Kaiser looks like he's on either his way out or he's on his way to the bottom of the depth chart because they're not going to trust him to 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 mentor uh, a first round quarterback like a Sam Donald I think I honestly I think Deshaun Kaiser could be had for the right pick uh, specifically on day three a fourth or a fifth round pick and I think he's shown enough this year I, I would consider doing that to make him my backup next year but, um, again, who they're able to reel in, what it will mean for the first overall pick, and what it will mean potentially, like you said, Blake, for the availability of the fourth overall pick. Yeah, and a lot of this is going to be interesting because when you look at John Dorsey and what he's done, the biggest question is who's going to be the shot caller in Cleveland? And from what we've seen so far, it doesn't matter in 2014 that the Browns staff had um, – it doesn't matter that they had Derek Carr and uh, I believe it was Odell Beckham Jr., as like the two uh, top players, at least at those different picks, they were they would have had a very potentially one-two punch. Instead, due to the fact that 
They just didn't have the ability. They traded back with the Bills. Uh, owner gave a call at least to say, hey, we're going to go and get Johnny football. Neither of those picks worked out. It just says that the owner is – and he was keeping a head coach who's 1-31. The last quarterback who got the Browns a win was Robert Griffin III, who didn't even play this year. And it's crazy to think about those top three picks in that 2012 draft. Uh, you know, the two ones who actually won a Super Bowl are the two third-rounders and Nick Foles and Russell Wilson now. We just don't have a guarantee in the NFL. The Cardinals, for all we know, may trade up for a quarterback here and then maybe take one on day three and turns out you end up in a Kirk Cousins-like situation. We just don't know at this point. The draft can be a crapshoot. But there are different signs we can look for as far as for finding these red flags. And I think that the Browns have a guy who can do that now in John Dorsey. The question is just going to be, will he get that chance? Uh, Dorsey, you can see from his past experience, when he first came to Kansas City, traded two seconds right away, got Alex Smith brought in. A tremendous move for the team that kept them in the playoffs. Never won them really past the first round or did much after that, but it was a solid move. And then you also saw him on the opposite end of the spectrum, trading up for Patrick Mahomes, giving up you know his first round pick this year, giving up another third they had last year just to move a ways up. And I think that kind of shows that he's a guy who I think ultimately will probably lock in a guy like a Sam Darnold, but I don't think they're going to start him. Maybe they end up taking A.G. McCarron. I don't, <laughs> it's tough to know if McCarron, but after sitting behind Andy Dalton for years, would want to see another first-round pick versus being the guy. But if you end up seeing that as kind of the best combination of keeping him clean, most draft analysts, especially the ones who seem to be pro scouts, are highest on Darnold because of the combination of the athleticism. They see the arm strength there. They're kind of overlooking some of the issues I have with some of the interceptions and fumbles and a, a bit of a wonky mechanic. We'll see how that looks out as we get into the draft process and especially the combine. Um, but I think that he's a guy who will be able to at least find a quarterback with one of those picks. I think if you don't take a quarterback at one, I don't see any reason you'd take one at four, knowing that there could be two teams who move ahead in front of your guy. So I, I think that we will end up seeing a Sam Darnold go – but if the team decides to go all in on a veteran and maybe they bring in a Chubb and a Barkley at one and four, perhaps that frees up room for the Arizona Cardinals. Let's talk about the quarterback who will probably not be going to the Cleveland Browns with Kirk Cousins. Um, it seems like it's a two-man race at this point. The Cardinals are kind of that team standing off to the side waving just like they were with Peyton Manning when he was a free agent and turns the 2012 season. But the only team that seems to be kind of desperate for uh, enough to give up a fully guaranteed contract right now is reportedly being the New York Jets right now. The Broncos don't have the cap space or room to be able to give that much, but they could push a lot of that money into further years, be creative with their cap. What do we think as far as for the Jets? And if they don't end up managing to get Kirk Cousins, what's the kind of quarterback that they'll go after? Are they going to stick it out a year again trying to go with a Josh McCown? Or is this a team that's probably going to go all in on trying to find the a Josh Allen or really scout on Mayfield? What are the Jets probably going to end up doing if they don't get one Mr. Kirk Cousins? I think I read the other day that no team has drafted – more quarterbacks in the first, second, or third rounds over the past, I think, five-year span than the New York Jets. So it's not like the Jets aren't trying to find the guy. They're just doing a, a terrible job uh, in doing so. The Bryce Petties of the world, the Christian Hackenbirds. Uh, you go back to Mark Sanchez, who uh, was underwhelming um, as their franchise quarterback, bringing in a veteran in, in the name of Brett Favre, really you could argue the, the, the one that has exceeded expectations was Josh McCown this year when the, a lot of people in the national media thought that the Jets were actively tanking. So I, I think that, again, with the continuity you have bringing back Todd Bowles um, and the familiarity that he has with Josh McCown, I think that would be their first choice because uh, I heard Johnny Manziel talk about it on the Part of My Take podcast this week that 
the, the biggest influence on him on being a professional while he was with the Cleveland Browns was Josh McCown said, you're one. I wasn't ready to start. I wasn't ready to play. I didn't know what it took to be a professional. And then when Josh McCown was brought in in year two to mentor Johnny Menzel, that's exactly what he did. And they had the best year that they've had in, I think the last 10 years outside of that year with Derek Anderson winning 10 games. So um, again, I think Josh is their first choice. If he chooses to play, he could opt to retire um, and, and not play again, and then they would kind of be in the same position that the Cardinals are in. But unfortunately, if the Cardinals want to secure Josh McCown, uh, the Jets are going to have to show minimal interest because I think just the familiarity, I think he's going to want to go back there. Um, But again, Christian Hackenberg's still on this roster. Bryce Petty's still on this roster. At some point, these guys have to play, don't they? Or do you just chalk it up to the fact that, you know what, Hackenberg was overdrafted to begin with. He was an average college quarterback especially from a completion standpoint who's below average um, and that does not bode well for an you know NFL success story so I think I think the Jets are in a, a precarious position where you've taken so many quarterbacks and you're not conceivably going to get one of the quote-unquote blue chippers in Darnold or Rosen you know does Baker Mayfield really fit in New York does Lamar Jackson really fit there? Really, I, I would argue that Josh Allen, in terms of his arm strength, is the best fit for you know the, that AFC, frigid AFC East. But again, he could end up in Buffalo. He could even end up maybe in Miami. So you think about what the Jets are going to have to combat with the fact that you know Tom Brady is conceivably going to play another two to five years or how many, however many he can stay healthy, you know, Adam Gase, I think, is always going to be looking for that next guy. And then Buffalo is actively looking to trade up for a quarterback. The Jets, in my opinion, I think have to bring back Josh McCown. So they at least can keep their options open in this year's draft. To Whereas if, if the chips don't fall, if the draft board doesn't fall to their liking, they can regroup and maybe try to trade back into the first for a Mason Rudolph or, or somebody like that. Uh, or wait until next year and just continue to build that offense um, and build that defense with Todd Bowles. So they're one of the more interesting teams because I think a lot of what they're going to do on draft day is really going to be dictated by free agency. And I believe that uh, this is a a record that was set as far as it's the first time that a quarterback has ever been drafted in the first two rounds and has not played a snap in his first two years. Christian Hackenberg was just an awful pick with the team, but it showed what they really valued was a big, tall, strong-arm quarterback, like you were saying, who could play in the AFC East. We saw what happened with the weaker-arm Mark Sanchez and how, despite a solid rookie season, at least, and an AFC championship berth that the team had, he just did not have the ability to be able to, you know, compete with in the division long term I think that's part of the reason why perhaps they've been looking at Josh Allen there's a lot of teams this year it seems like they've been kind of staying out waiting for the Darnolds for the Allens for the Rosens at least of this world I think that if the Jets get Kirk Cousins then Josh McCown from what it sounds like he's interested as far as for still playing his career he would even be interested in coming back to Arizona I believe that Mike Jarecki there's you know they've got text relationships with players that they have said he'd be open to coming back but also be open to a couple other teams as well I think that the first domino that obviously will fall will be Kirk Cousins uh, unless A.J. McCarron falls and what's interesting now is that you've got another AFC East team that's looking for their long-term answer at quarterback and that's the Buffalo Bills with their 
trading back from last year, not taking Patrick Mahomes. Some said that they'll regret it. I think that it's at least if it's not their guy, it's not their guy. They had basically let go of their GM just recently and were kind of lost going into the draft. You got those two first now, and it seems like Tyrod Taylor, if they can trade up and get high enough for a quarterback, maybe Josh Rosen's their guy that they're looking at as far as they've liked him for a few years now. Maybe it is more of a Josh Allen type. But Tyrod Taylor is probably going to be available. What do we think about the Bills if they should try to trade up ahead of the Cardinals? And what would we think about having Tyrod here in Arizona as maybe that bridge type of a quarterback? I think the Bills are absolutely going to try to trade up for a quarterback. I think that they are in a position this year with two first-round picks that no other team outside of Cleveland is, is able to do, and that is to kind of dictate their own draft. I think that having those first two picks in the first round is such a sweetener for teams in the top ten who may view a lot of these players the same from, let's say, pick seven to pick 25 – you know, we always call uh, certain players at the head of the draft class blue chippers, or at least I do. Let's say there's six blue chippers and you're Tampa and you're picking ninth or whatever they're picking, and all those guys are gone. And then you just got a bunch of guys who you can't decide with and that could conceivably be available later in the first round. Why not entertain the idea with trading with Buffalo? Because you know the Buffalo Bills got to the playoffs this year really kind of despite the quarterback play. Nathan Peterman was a, was an absolute disaster in the time that he spent. You know, Tyrod will make a couple wow plays, but he's just not consistent enough of a playmaker, of a pocket passer to rely on. I mean, it's basically been that LaShawn McCoy-led offense via the running game. Um, they, they turned over their wide receiving unit. Kelvin Benjamin's now there. Um, you know, ironically enough, Robert Woods is doing really well in Los Angeles. And then defensively, Sean McDermott did a great job with that unit. <coughs> and could have beaten Jacksonville in the first round of the playoffs, who almost beat New England in the AFC Championship game. So I think they think they are close. They're able to secure Cordy Glenn and keep him around. Um, and then LaShawn McCoy, let's see if he's got another year or two. He's going to be 30 this year. I think they think they could win with a rookie quarterback. I think they're a dangerous team for the Cardinals to have to contend with because of those first two um, first-round picks. The fact that they have, I think, an additional day two pick that they could – conceivably package in my opinion they're more dangerous to the Cardinals than, than even a team in the top 10 as crazy as that sounds because of the fact that they could put together a package outside of Cleveland that's better than anything else uh, as far as Tyrod Taylor being an option for the Arizona Cardinals I wouldn't be opposed to it I, I think it would be a safe option I think that he is somebody that would please Larry Fitzgerald based on the fact that you know he's able to complete over 60% of his throws. Uh, I, I'd be anxious to see what Mike McCoy would think of, of a player like him because he is quote unquote unconventional. He's around six foot, six foot one, whereas McCoy has worked with primarily larger quarterbacks, conventional quarterbacks, Phillip Rivers, you know, Brock Eisweiler, say what you want. He's a pocket quarterback, Paxton Lynch, uh, and of course Peyton Manning. But his time with Tim Tebow leads me to believe that he could have some success uh, with Tyrod Taylor. Again, it's all about what, what are you willing to give up? Because I think the Bills know that Tyrod could be an asset to a lot of teams. And the fact that they could get a, a day three pick, a nice day three pick, a fourth or a fifth round pick for Tyrod, if not higher, while also kind of using that as a coup to trade up for their own quarterback. But again, think about it, Blake. They can't strike out in the first round for whatever reason and then not have Tyrod as a safety net. But again, 
They drafted Nathan Peterman for a reason. I think they like him despite what they showed, and they wanted every reason to sit Tyrod last year. And to his credit, he didn't allow it, ended up being their playoff quarterback. So at the end of the day, I think they move him. I think they move him for a day three pick. And it wouldn't shock me if the Cardinals had some interest. He's on a cap-friendly deal. And, again, he'd be somebody who has overcome a lot as an undrafted free agent to be a competent NFL quarterback. I think that's a great message for anybody. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting when you look at Tyrod. The biggest complaint Buffalo fans seem to have is that he'll make plays with his legs. He just doesn't make the deep throws with his arms that they're looking for. I think that he's underrated as far as the fact that he does still complete a lot of these like kind of crazy passes as far as using that arm strength and that athleticism. Um, what's interesting about him is that he's a much more of an Alex Smith, I guess, type quarterback in terms of just protecting the football. He doesn't like to throw a lot of interceptions, and that's part of the reason why the Buffalo Bills were a playoff team. And you look at the Arizona Cardinals, they were not. You had a lot of sacks that were taken by uh, an immobile Carson Palmer and Blaine Gabbard. They may have actually even been a 10-win team if Drew Stanton had been healthy enough to start through with all of that. And, um, you know, Taylor, I think he actually, I believe he was a sixth-round pick versus an undrafted free agent. But he was brought in just as a long-term backup, really worked his way into that starting job. And even when the team benched him for Nathan Peterman, he just showed his value right away in that first game where (laughs) Peterman just showed almost like even – uh, just showed that it can always get worse than Christian Hackenberg as far as that start. I wouldn't mind him as far as for looking at between a Tyron Taylor and a Case Keenum. After what Case Keenum did, he's probably going to get paid a lot more than Taylor. And neither of them seem like they're going to be the long-term guy. Now, maybe you have a Carson Palmer type situation, don't intend to be the long-term guy, and he kind of becomes into that. But just with the age and the fact of a veteran, I think that he's a guy who you could bring in on a short deal. I don't know if he's going to get picks traded for him or if the Buffalo Bills would just prefer to just cut him to try to save some of that cap space. But, you know, it's just how it's going to turn out as far as that. Uh, Let's go ahead and do one more quick thing before we uh, get to the final section of our show, at least looking forward, and talk about Ron Rivera. Uh, we do know that there's uh, a huge connection that's been between Ron Rivera and Steve Wilkes. Wilkes is one of the guys who he was handpicked by him to kind of be in charge when Rivera had to leave. He did some controversial things he talked about where he t- um, mentioned about what the, the usage of technology in sports with how we've had player tracking that's been on since, I believe, 2015. Teams are not even getting a lot of that information. We're seeing some of it in the media reports, but Rivera is firmly against it. Uh, he had a quote that he said, I want to get beat on the field. I don't want to get beat because someone uses a tool or technology that's coaching. All of a sudden you see a piece of live video after I work all week, I'm preparing, I'm kicking your ass. Uh, and all of a sudden he says, you figure out, oh crap, that's what he's doing. How fair is that? And I feel this really ironic considering that the Arizona Cardinals under Ken Wisenhunt specifically used film, film footage of the, I believe it was the right tackle of the Minnesota Vikings, to just destroy Brett Favre because he would give a tell to whether they were running pass or whether they were running the football. The defense just was keyed in exactly to what the Vikings were doing. And that was just a piece of film work found by someone in the office, and it gave you a competitive advantage. I don't think we can look at this type of a league, and after especially looking at what the Philadelphia Eagles just did and accomplished with a backup quarterback, we can't really take this technology and move forward, at least with how Bruce Arians did with VR. And I don't see that the team can move back now. I think this is the future, and this is where you kind of have to adapt or die. And I understand Rivera wanting to basically have the ability to coach players up, but what happens if Steve Wilkes turns out to be more of this Ron Rivera camp? Do we think that the Cardinals could still manage to be able to um, when as far as for whether it's coaching or is there a level of technology that they, uh, we're just going to have to adapt to now in the NFL? What do you think about what Rivera said? 
Well, unfortunately, Blake, I think a lot of these defensive coaches feel this way. I hope it's not a reflection of Steve Wilkes based on the fact that he was close, is close with Ron Rivera. But you always heard the same thing from a Rex Ryan, who was a rah-rah guy, who was a quote-unquote players coach. Wade Phillips as a head coach was kind of the same way. Where are we seeing the innovation? We're seeing it from the offensive guys outside of you know, Bill Belichick, who historically is a defensive coach. The offensive guys are ahead of the curve. And when you have an offensive head coach, that enables you to get creative in a lot of different ways. And, and those ways tend to be hand in hand with the, you know, the increased use of analytics and technology. Um, and so I'll always give Bruce credit for, for trying to, to push the envelope in that regard, even though he was kind of a dinosaur in a lot of other ways. So, you know, I don't have too much to say on it other than the fact that you know, I think that Steve is going to have some input in that regard. I don't think he's going to allow this franchise to take steps backwards from a, from a technology standpoint. You've seen all the renovations and updates they've done to the facility, to the practice bubble, to their locker room, to their weight room, to everything that they've done and overhauled since Steve has taken over. And I think that they're going to continue doing those things to try to give themselves a competitive advantage. Because quite frankly, unless you have you know, elite caliber players everywhere. This league is is generally decided by, you know, three to seven points on any given Sunday. You can be by, you can get get beat by anybody, and so the players are close to each other for the most part. Not everybody sports an embarrassing roster. Um, you know, like uh, like the New York Giants, like the like the Indianapolis Colts, who who consistently have had a bottom three roster over the past you know half decade or so. A lot of teams are kind of in that middle echelon. And so how can you, how can you have a competitive advantage? I think it's by the use of what you just described, having that video, having that data available to you. And I hope that Steve Wilkes is smart enough to know that this may be his only head coaching shot he ever gets. I would want to take full advantage of, of every asset that I could. No, definitely. And it's interesting with Wilkes, just seeing how his biggest areas, of course, the trust accountability um, was a huge part of not just Bruce Arians, but also with him. And then his other area, we talked about um, commitment. It'll be interesting to see because his entire focus seems to be coming in early on uh, disdain for pre-snap penalties, which he called a lack of discipline and post-snap with being selfish. That's uh, definitely not music to <laughs> Jermaine Gresham's ears, but it'll be interesting for how much of those uh, flaws and things that you can find on tape. If a lot of those end up going away, perhaps it turns into an area where if you're a team that is well-coached and well-run, you don't end up seeing as much of those type of errors anyway. It'll just be interesting to watch and see exactly what kind of offense they'll bring under Mike McCoy, how much of the Bruce Arian system with Larry Fitzgerald and Byron Leftwich stays. I think that's all a lot to consider. Uh, coming up right near, we got our final part of the show coming up with the Bird Gang Blitz for tonight. We've got some Cardinals news as far as for a one free agent, or I should say one agent under contract who's definitely returning to the team. Uh, we've got some rumors about the Honey Badger. And we'll take a quick look at the 2018 NFL Combine coming up. Don't miss it right after here. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. 
It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Welcome back in on the Bird Gang Blitz. Let's talk a little bit about the other news, more specifically Cardinals news that happened uh, over the past few weeks we've been off. First one was Antoine Bethea. Uh, he was officially retained, which he was already under contract, but they decided to pick up the option that he had when he signed his deal with the Cardinals. He's uh, a bit older as far as it comes to safeties. Uh, that was the one kind of big concern that you had when they signed Bethea. He seemed to have the Rashad Johnson rule locked down. He's 33 years old. He still seems to have the deep speed. He can play like in the box as a Tyron Matthew. Led the team interceptions this year. I think this is a solid move to be able to bring him back and get some of that stability and consistency. And it'll also allow Buda Baker to play on the line. Uh, what are your thoughts, at least, on this safety? Uh, just the move with Bethea, what he brought for the team last year, and what he could be next year. You know, I thought it was a wise decision to pick up, you know, his extension – so to speak, I, I think that you mentioned it. Leading the team with five interceptions was impressive, uh, especially when you consider that you had Buddha, Tyron, and Patrick in that secondary as well. And f- frankly, Tyvon Branch played well last year before he was injured, and he's going to be a free agent. So you needed an, an additional veteran to bring back, uh, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, shortly. But um, does it free up the opportunity to move Tyron Matthew? I think that's the biggest question mark when it comes to, to you know the extension of Bethay because you have – uh, now Buda Baker, like you said, able to play up on the line of scrimmage. You could still, you know, invest in a safety on day three, maybe a rangy safety, somebody, you know, six foot or old or taller um, that has opportunity to play a little, you know, single high free safety. Um, and at the same time, you know, the fact that Tyron Matthews cap hit is so high and they have so many needs elsewhere and they could use that money in other places. If you're able to get another team to, to look at that, salary and say that's doable for us you know I think Antoine Bethea can be a solid player for this team for at least another year or two we we saw Yermai Bell come in for one year at 35 years old and I think have over 100 tackles in a similar role like you said Rashad Johnson came in and was the kind of the quarterback of the defense with really underwhelming um you know defensive attributes he never caught on anywhere else yet in a underwhelming year in Tennessee and I think is retired from the game of football so you need that savvy smart veteran leader on defense you know and Patrick Peterson is a tremendous tremendous football player but Bethea has seen it all and I think that Steve Wilkes knows that if you want consistency in really the Cardinals most talented unit with Tyron Buddha and Patrick in the secondary you're going to want you know the guy who led the team in interceptions back if he's willing to come back on a reasonable deal. And it looks like it is, but again, I think it's just mirrored with the fact that I think Tyron Matthew could be available for the right price or could be flat out released, which I would not advocate for. But at the same time, when you need a lot of other issues, is Tyron Matthew a luxury for the Cardinals at that point? I'll ask you that. No, I think that's what's tough about Matthew is you look at the positives of him of being a spiritual leader for the defense, of being a solid contributor over the last eight games. Once he finally, the team's 
defense went back to simplifying where he was able to make plays on the line of scrimmage and wasn't having to stay back all the time. It looked like he'd been kind of reborn in a lot of ways where he had a couple interceptions early, but it looked like he was still out there making plays. It allowed Buddha to be kind of the, the rangy guy who was racking up the different tackles. Um, I think that you could say that maybe it's a be a bit of a luxury, but it depends on when you're saying luxury, because if your goal and identity for this team is being able to have um, a fierce pass rush, being able to blitz guys like Hassan Reddick, um, being able to blitz uh, a guy like a Dale Buchanan, who played especially well down the stretch last year. I believe he also like he had the a tremendous game against the Giants where he forced that fumble that Robert Kandichi ran into the end zone. You've got the talent where if Matthew and Baker are both solid you may want to keep that around. The question, of course, is obviously the cost. The Cardinals have a lot to be able to rebuild on offense. Is it worth it? And I think the biggest thing it comes down to is if you're going to be doing any type of move with Tyron Matthew, you're not going to find a lot of value at this current part on the market, uh, at least not from fans' perspectives. A lot of fans who I talk to, at least, when they're saying, hey, what would you look at for taking for Tyron Matthew if he would be part of a trade-up? And nearly every single one said, okay, Matthew, and what else? We don't know anything more about Matthew. It's still a flyer. He's still kind of a health risk. It feels really like you're at the beginning of 2017 again. It's just that the deadline has been moved back a year for Matthew, and you've got a bit more optimism given how he played down the last stretch, but the cost has also gone up. Uh, I think that it's something of where you could maybe try to keep him a restructure, but the, the one thing that I saw that seemed to be the best example at least was when you look at overthecap.com and you look at the age of Tyron Matthew being only 25 years old, there really is not a move that saves them cap money this year. You, you really would be losing money if you were to cut him. If you trade him, another team takes it on, you probably get some of that money back, and maybe that's part of what the Cardinals look at as packaging of a deal. But when you look at how Steve Kime has built his team where he talks about rewarding players, he talks about locking guys up long-term, unless Tyron Matthew at least proved this year that he wasn't able to stay healthy and got injured again, I don't think that he would be with the team next year based on what Steve Kime is. Is he a core player? He still played the second most amount of snaps in the NFL last year, which is a huge credit to him. Wasn't the most effective or the honey badger for all of them. But I think the easiest move that makes the most sense is to take a look at his deal and say, all right, if we went and extended his deal, and some fans will be like, extending his deal, but what extending his deal would do is it would take a lot of that money you're currently at with Matthew, it would push that into the future, it'd be the only thing you could do outside of a trade, and I'd still have to check on what the rules would be if you did trade him, you still might take a loss this year, uh, especially depending on when you traded him due to the fact that you've got an upcoming deadline that you have to hit. If you did decide to extend him, you'd push a lot of that money back, and it might be that you give him that long-term security but you also might end up being able to, if he goes out and then gets hurt again next year, you at least would have a lot more cap room in the present and you'd be able to make up some on the back end. So I could see that being an option as far as for maybe instead of looking at cutting or trading him, you'd look at just saying, hey, we were looking at giving you, you know, a two-year deal. We'll basically give you another two-year deal. You push that money back and you have this decision to talk about in 2020 where now you're looking at, okay, we played to 2018. Let's see how he does that season. And then that's where you move into the future. So I don't think it's a luxury. I think it's more of an asset, an area of what's the value of Tyron Matthew. And I think we both agree that right now it's not where it's supposed to be. So I think that either you trade him or if you extend him, that lowers that cap number for this year. Whereas if you cut him, you're just going to be kind of looking at that for the 2019 savings. And what the Cardinals really need that cap space for, honestly, is for this year to be able to help rebuild that team.
Uh, let's go ahead and talk a little bit just about the uh, combine that's coming up as we close our time tonight. What are some of the positions that Cardinals fans need to watch? Who are some of these players that we have to watch? And what are going to be kind of some predictions as far as for maybe some of the biggest risers or some players who you think maybe fall after their performance at the combine? Your thoughts, John? I think the number one position has to be quarterback, and I want to see which guys go and compete and do everything. I think Baker Mayfield can do a lot for his stock if he were to come in and essentially put on a clinic from an accuracy standpoint, how he does in interviews, that kind of stuff gets leaked out. And then I think Josh Allen in that same boat has to convince NFL teams that, yeah, he carried a subpar team that played in the potato bowl um, while well, a lot of these other guys are playing in the Rose Bowl at the end of the year, what does he have to bring to these NFL teams that are expecting him to, to, to produce as a franchise quarterback? And was it really the supporting cast, or is he really a guy who can only complete 55, 56% of his throws um, you know, for a subpar conference, for a subpar team, so to speak? So uh, those are the two that I think I'm going to be watching closely. You know, I expect Arnold and Rosen to produce – and, and do well in a lot of the drills. I think they're, I think everybody should throw. I think there's no, there's no harm in throwing because I've seen quarterbacks throw in the past. I've seen, you know, Jared Goff and Cam Newton throwing and not affect their status one way or the other. And I think that really to me, for these guys to stand out from a, you know, attribute standpoint, they have to do everything. And I think that Josh Allen has a little bit of a stiff mantra that I think he can eliminate, eliminate with a quick 40 with a nice shell time. I think Lamar Jackson could really help himself more than anybody from a quarterback standpoint based on the fact that, you know, if he looks not like an RG3 clone, but somebody maybe closer to Cam Newton, so to speak, or, or Michael Vick in the later years, of his career where he was able to put on a little bit of weight, a little bit of muscle, but his days in Philadelphia, I think he could help himself and really supplant him as a, you know, I think already a top 25 player in this year's draft. So my eyes are going to be glued to the quarterbacks. But again, from an offensive line standpoint, it's a tremendous interior offensive line class with, of course, you know, uh, Wynn from Georgia. I, I'm a big Billy Price fan from Ohio State. I think a lot of these secondary interior offensive line uh, players I think are going to be on the Cardinals radar assuming that they get their quarterback first because again you're not going to get the Nelsons the elites the McGlinchies, uh, you know at pick 15 or assuming that the Cardinals take a quarterback early but second round third round maybe you package your two-thirds and you go up and you get an offensive lineman in the second round you got to start looking at some of these players that are going to be probably top 50 prospects, but fringe first rounders as, as guys who the Cardinals could conceivably pick because that's, that's where my mind goes is, you know, I like certain players at certain positions. I like Calvin Ridley. I like some of these, you know, defensive backs. I like Denzel Ward. I think they're going to be good players, but you know, for me, the Cardinals have such a knee at quarterback and offensive line ahead of everything else. It's, it's impossible to look at anything else and say, well, that's a realistic option for pick 15 because it just isn't. It's a great running back class, but the Cardinals have David Johnson. So that's kind of where my head's at as we sit here on, on February 18th. 
Yeah, and I think that'll be what'll be interesting at the combine is you're going to look at Baker Mayfield. His arm's not going to be near the strength maybe of uh, Rosen or at least for sure Josh Allen. I'm most curious is to watch Rosen and Darnold because it feels like the NFL has shifted in a way where unlike with you had Marcus Mariota who decided not to throw outside of his pro day, Jameis Winston decided not to participate in the drills. It feels like these quarterbacks have changed where now they want to participate in the show off. And so like last year we saw all the quarterbacks participated. Carson Wentz participated in all the drills at the combine. I think that it'll be interesting because there seems to be rumors and reports that because people have seen Baker Mayfield in person at the Combine, he went and threw next to Josh Allen all week. Now, he seemed to play the best for a lot of the guys throughout the week as far as the practices and everything went. But just to see the stature and stuff, I know that scouts aren't going to like that. Having him with the rest of those guys at the Combine, maybe you start to see his stock slip a little bit, uh, especially with some of the stories that are there about with some of the interviews and other areas. He's a very unique cookie <laughs> as far as like the type of personality, the chip on his shoulder. Some, a lot of guys are going to like that. But when it gets down to the interviews, maybe we'll see how well he's been coached or what goes on with the rest of that process because we already know that Josh Allen is – a killer at that part. Let's go ahead and look at some of the other players. One thing I think that'll be interesting is uh, if you look at a guy like Dante Jackson, I know has been reported to maybe have a chance at breaking that John Ross's record from last year. And John Ross, of course, shows that the 40 yard dash is probably maybe the most overrated, uh, in a lot of ways, measure of athleticism, just because you look at John Ross as the top guy there. He didn't play a single snap last year. He was injured. He even got injured on his second run. But on the other hand, you look at guys running like a Patrick Peterson, you look at other guys who, like a Chris Johnson even, who had the fastest time before that. There are these pro players. TJ Logan is a guy the Cardinals even drafted because he had the fastest running back score. It is something at least to be able to watch and to cover because uh, even with Bruce Arians gone, this is still a team that loves speed. So I think when you're looking at those speedsters, that's going to be a huge area that you'll want to take a look at for these kind of uh, guys who are going to generate a whole lot of buzz. Uh, one guy that I'm going to take a look at as well is going to be um, – uh, let's go with, a, I think, Derwin James as far as for a safety because when you talk about uh, these guys who are going to be like these big, tall cornerback slash safeties, these guys who are just freak athletes and are rare for that size like a Patrick Peterson, when these guys can put it all together, you can sometimes see stock go anywhere from first round to, you know, a top 10 lock. And I think that'll be the one area you'll want to watch. And for me, one thing I'm going to look for at least is surprisingly the fullbacks and the running backs. Cardinals need a fullback. It'd be tough to see them have a rookie this year. I think that they'll probably bring in a guy who will be a veteran. Maybe you see Eli Penny get shifted over there, but I need to find a compliment to David Johnson because we saw how the offense without him last year, it just went into a straight nosedive. And I think finding a guy who can be Maybe compliment with some of the being a big back. Maybe you don't need to find a guy who can catch as effectively out of the backfield, but a big back with speed who's able to kind of go up the middle, get the job done, take some of those carries off of uh, David Johnson, or maybe be able to line up in the backfield on third and three and have David Johnson shift out into a wide receiver position and still being able to kind of push forward and getting that first down by running the football if you want. That's the position I'm looking at is trying to find who's the guy who can be there. And we know that uh, a guy like a Kalen Balazs, a lot of people have compared him to David Johnson. He doesn't seem to be as physical, but physicality is not as much DJ's game either. So maybe that's kind of an area that the Cardinals end up looking at that type of a running back for a guy who can complement David Johnson or perhaps looking for a guy who's going to end up bulldozing. But either way, running back is a spot that I'm going to watch because I do think you can get a good value running back on day three of the NFL draft. It doesn't have to be a pick in the first or the second round. And uh, If the Cardinals stay put, maybe you start looking at that second, third rounder. But And then the last area that I would at least look at is I'll be watching the wide receivers because like we said we'll see where the offensive linemen go it's going to be more about the quality of snaps and the smartness of the guy 
But I do think the team is going to have to draft another wide receiver this year. Don't know when that's going to be, how free agency will shake it out. But these are the guys I'm going to kind of watch is who's that guy who can. Maybe no one's talking about, shows up at the combine, performs. You can get him with a later pick in the draft. And he can come in and be able to be that future number two guy. Uh, as I've talked about, the guys I've looked at at least for some of that is a Dante Pettis. There's also, I believe, um, I want to say it's like an Anthony Johnson or there's a guy who's going to be over at the uh, – Florida, who's a tremendous wide receiver. He does have some off-field issues, though. And I think that's the biggest thing with the Cardinals is, is we're going to see a really interesting pick of how with Kandichi, with a guy like Chad Williams last year, um, it's going to be really interesting to see how the Cardinals will treat some of these kind of more high-flag guys with a brand-new head coach in Steve Wilkes who took out a guy like a Josh Gordon and developed him into a star. Uh, John, uh, we're going to turn it off at least for tonight. I, I know we got a recording on Sunday nights. We're heading into the week. Um, you have any other last thought before you head off for that one? And uh, make sure you tell the viewers as well where they can find you. Uh, yeah, I think it's just going to be interesting as we progress toward free agency work or cousins going to land and are the Cardinals intrigued or interested or going to make a free agent pitch. I think he's going to do his due diligence a la Peyton Manning uh, in 2012. And I think the Cardinals would be best served to at least have a meeting with Kirk and to kind of see where his, you know, he's a sure thing right now to put up in the right offense, 4,000 yards and 25, 27 touchdowns. Nobody in this draft class is a sure thing. And Kirk's, you know, on the on the right side of 30 years old right now, and I think his game's going to improve the next couple years as he's still in the prime of his career. But at the same time, what is he going to command on the open market? He's made a ton of money in the short term via the franchise tag from Washington. Would he be willing to give the Cardinals some kind of a discount in an effort to build a championship team? I don't know. I think the Cardinals have a, a puke point, so to speak, when it comes to the contract I think that they could envision him getting. I don't think it's the right move, but I, I, I think it's one that, you know, I would want to explore at least, you know, doing my job as the GM uh, of the Arizona Cardinals, that is Steve Kime. So will he be connected at all, and will he take a meeting with the Cardinals um, as we progress through February and March? Will that, will that stuff start to leak out or will the Cardinals just completely pivot and say we're focusing on the draft we're going to get a bridge quarterback that's it we're going to you know Sam Bradford is going to be our guy assuming he checks out or Peter King has floated this out as early as today Blake that he thinks the Cardinals will have some kind of interest in A.J. McCarron uh, you know I, I don't think that's the uh, you know the um, the right move at all in terms of long-term stability but he's been a guy who can who can come in and move the sticks I think he's more competent than say Mike Glennon who got paid last year what is this free agent quarterback class going to look like for the Cardinals and who are they going to target that's my biggest question mark hopefully we start to hear more things uh in the in the coming weeks you can find me on Twitter at Johnny's Football uh interact with Blake and I uh Blake where where can they find you yeah, you can find me at Blake Murphy 7 and I will be shocked if uh, – I'll just take it for a hot take that I'll land on the way out there to hear is I'll be shocked if A.J. McCarron's an Arizona Cardinal because of the sheer cost that it's going to give up for that contract to get him. Don't see them doing that for such a, a guy without his little production for that. But, yeah, I'll be on Revenge of the Birds. We'll have some great quarterback breakdowns that will be coming up. I'll be launching the first part of that series just before the NFL Combine. Uh, we'll be looking at the Parcells rules. Do they still apply? Uh, for the most part, the answer seems to be – 
not as much as we might think anymore, especially the part about being a senior. Uh, I'll be launching some of that content, and you can always follow us at Bird Gang Blitz on Twitter as well. We'll be posting up some of those past episodes that we'll have to go through, as well as this newest one. We'll be launching that as far as that channel. Make sure that you give us a follow there, as well as on iTunes, and we're also on Blog Talk Radio. The search for the Bird Gang Blitz. That's all of it for Johnny and I today. Uh, you guys take care. Have a good start to your week, and we'll see you next time, guys. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill-up. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Hi, I'm Tara Swisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.